Thank you, Pastor Chris, and to uh, two folks who brought their testimony. Always great to hear testimonies and all the people said. Amen. All right. I want to talk about love today. There's a saying that love makes the world go round. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know quite where that came from. But in a way, maybe it's true because we read in the Bible that God is love and he makes the world go around. They don't want to say that, but anyway. So true love comes from God. There is all sorts of brands of love. But there is a wonderful love that comes from God alone. And it's demonstrated, we're told in the scriptures, that God loved the world so much. He saw the predicament that we were in all the troubles we'd got ourselves into, he sent his only begotten son to come and rescue us out of the predicament that we were in. And that's what Jesus did. He uh, suffered as a result of this. He was crucified. But at that time, he took the penalty of all the sin that we ever committed upon himself. And God accepted that sacrifice on our behalf. Even though Jesus died and he was buried, God raised him from the dead. And uh, a short time later, he took him back up into heaven. And to prove that he had accomplished all of this to the waiting disciples, God sent down the Holy Spirit. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. And the Christian church was born. And so it's God's love that brought all of this about. We're told also that that love is available to us. The love of God is uh, poured out in our hearts by the Holy Ghost that is given. That's in Romans 5 verse 5 if you're taking notes. We're also told in the book of Galatians in chapter 5 and verse 22 and 23 that the fruit of the Spirit is the first one listed is love. It's something that grows from the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure that many of us here have been filled with the Spirit for a long time now. And uh, we've noticed in our own lives as we walk on in the Lord that the fruit grows and uh, it's, it gets stronger. And God's love in us is something which we actually surprise ourselves of the the, the loving things that we do and the loving thoughts that we have because we weren't like that before in many cases. But it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we're told that it comes forth from our hearts. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost that's given to us. And when we talk about love, it's, um, it's virtually impossible to separate it from talking about heart because that's where God's love works on. It works on our heart and it, it, it goes forth to other people. Now, I'm quoting a few scriptures for lack of time. We've just, uh, you can jot it down and check up on me later. But in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, it tells us that the heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so God says that he will try our hearts and our minds. And so he also says in the book of Ezekiel in chapter 36 that he's going to give a new heart. A new heart is available. We hear in these days of people who've uh, uh, got a, a diseased heart that in some cases they can actually 
uh, get, well, it's not a new heart. They get a, one that's new to them, but it's actually a second-hand one uh, from somebody else who has uh, passed away and they'd uh, left their heart to, uh, to be used for this purpose. And so people get a heart transplant. Well, uh, God does better than that because he's talking spiritually here that the heart, the core of our being is desperately wicked. And God says, it's like a, a rock, it's as solid as a rock, and I want to give you a new one, one that's soft and malleable. And so he promises that to us. And so we get a new heart and a new spirit. That's in Ezekiel 36 and verses 25 to 27 that that is mentioned to us. Now, uh, a passage that we uh, know, we will turn to in Acts chapter 2, and this is the day when the church was formed and uh, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And we're going to read there just uh, towards the end of it, uh, Acts chapter 2. And uh, after Peter had preached to the crowd, and we read, <coughs> I better get it there. And <coughs> it says that when they heard the gospel preached to them, it says that when, uh, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? So <clears throat> to, to be able to receive God's love into our heart, and we all need to be more loving than what we were before, even if we've been the Lord for a long time, we need to grow in his love. But these people were the very crowd, many of them, who'd cried out for Jesus to be crucified only a few weeks before. And here they saw the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. They heard the preaching of the gospel story from Peter. And God was moving on the hearts of the people that heard that. The gospel does that to people. And uh, sometimes, uh, well, we were discussing last night about a, a few instances about how that some people, they just don't believe. But if they dare to listen to the gospel story... God can work on their hearts and suddenly they're convicted that this is true. And so that's what happened to this crowd. They were pricked in their heart. They heard the story of how Jesus had come and how they'd performed all these miracles, how that he'd been killed, but God raised him from the dead. And Peter didn't mince his words. He pointed out to them, you asked for him to be killed, but God raised him from the dead. They were pricked in their heart. And so they said, what can we do about this? And the answer was, in the next verse, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You can have what these people have just received, and you too can be filled with the Spirit, and you too can speak in tongues as a sign that it has happened to you. So they were pricked in their heart. It wasn't just in their mind. You know, there's a lot of religions about that have got an intellectual conversion that they have. People have changed. They perhaps didn't believe in God before, but they, were, uh, they maybe saw some prophecies or they looked at creation in a different light and suddenly thought, well, probably there's a God after all and maybe he did have a son called Jesus. And uh, they might even think, oh, I might give my heart to Jesus, uh, which is pretty difficult. But uh, anyway, they, uh, they get some sort of intellectual conversion. 
And uh, sometimes you see them uh, having a debate. Years ago when we were up at Elizabeth, they had a debate uh, uh, advertised that was, I think it was going to be in the big hall there in Elizabeth. And I think it was the Mormons and the Christadelphians were going to have a, uh, going to bang heads together that night. And uh, of course, neither of them have got the experience that we enjoy. And so they had these intellectual discussions and not that I went to it, but I just saw it advertised. And I thought, well, that's a waste of time. But, uh, but this is what a lot of people do. But when you receive the Holy Spirit, because you have repented of your sins and because you've either been baptized or you, you're wanting to follow the Lord, he, he, he deals with your heart, not just with your mind, but uh, in, their, in their hearts. They were convicted. Okay, let's have a look while we're here in Acts. We'll have a look in, in chapter 8. And there's a story here of a, uh, a man uh, who was, uh, well, he was a witch doctor. <coughs> I've, I've met one or two of those in modern times. Actually, when Graham Pater was up in, uh, in New Guinea one time, <coughs> they had a photograph of him standing next to, to uh, a witch doctor. And so the caption on it was, which doctor is the witch doctor? But uh, anyway, we know where the real one is. So uh, praise the Lord. <coughs> so anyway, this witch doctor, he was a sorcerer. And uh, his name was Simon. And he saw all the miracles that were happening when uh, Philip was preaching. And uh, he saw people getting baptised. And he uh, decided to get baptised also. Oh, this looks good. I'll go along with this. And, uh, but he, uh, he sort of believed in it, but, <clears throat> when, but nobody had received the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John came down and prayed for all of these people, and the others were all receiving the Holy Spirit, and obviously they would have had the same evidence as we read in chapter uh, 2 on the day of Pentecost. And Simon was looking on, and, and he was so impressed with this. He said, this is a good trick. He said, I'd like to be in on this. How much money does it cost to be able to get this ability to get people filled with the Holy Spirit? And uh, you know, there's a lot of his counterparts still around today who think somehow or other that uh, things from God are tied up with money. And some people use the name of God to make heaps of it. But anyway, um, we'll read what uh, Peter um, had to say to him here. Um, um, We'll, look at, we'll read from verse 18. When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Remember hearing about Frank Sinatra, who paid millions to the Catholic Church because he knew he was going to die soon, and he thought that might help. <clears throat> I don't think it did. <coughs> well, go on, excuse me. Uh, Peter said, Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. <coughs> Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And then answered Simon, Pray ye to the Lord for me that none of these things which thou hast spoken come upon me. His heart wasn't right. It was the thought of his heart. It was not just some intellectual passing moment. Deep down in his heart, 
he was corrupt. He was unrepentant. And so Peter really told him, and it had an impact. He said, pray for me now. We don't know what happened after this, whether, whether he did really have a, a genuine change of heart or not. But um, it, it identifies to us how a lot of people are that they uh, just need to have their heart touched by the gospel and uh, by the power of God. Now, <clears throat> I've got a lot of scriptures here, as usual, but let's go back to Matthew 18. We want to read a parable that Jesus told. Matthew chapter 18. And he's talking about this man who'd been forgiven lots uh, by his master, typifying that God has forgiven us much of what we have done. But then he came across a, a colleague who um, owed him some money. And it was a very small amount by comparison with what he had been forgiven. So he took hold of this fellow by the throat and said, pay that thou owest. And, uh, and, and of course, the other people that were watching on, they weren't impressed with this. This, this guy's got a bad attitude. And so, um, and, uh, so then his master heard about it. We'll pick it up in verse 32. Then his Lord, after they had called him, he said unto him, Though thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because you desired me. Should you not also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Sometimes people give a token comment, oh yes, I'll forgive you. But if they don't mean it, it's worth nothing. And so the Lord says, from your hearts, you've got to be prepared to forgive. From your hearts, you've got to be motivated with all of the things that you do. And uh, so the gospel really is directed at our hearts. And uh, we've got to take it to heart. And uh, so we could look at many more examples such as this. So, <clears throat> so when it comes to love, well, who do we love most? And uh, the, there is obviously a pecking order, I guess. Um, and uh, so there are priorities that we all have. So we're told in the book of Second Timothy what it would be like in the last days. And um, that's where we're at now, right in the middle of them, or maybe right at the end of them. Second Timothy and chapter 3, and this prophecy is something we quote often because it's so evident. Verse 1, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And, uh, well, there's so many things about that. The way that the world is politically, uh, financially, all sorts of things. And uh, people get all excited and, oh, we're going to have peace now because uh, uh, Trump and uh, Kim have kissed and made up. Um, and uh, so it's all, all nice and uh, they're both going to swap hairdos or something or other. And uh, so um, this is supposed to be wonderful, but the Bible tells us that when they say peace and safety, look out. That's when sudden destruction will come. And for those who know a little bit about relatively modern history, um, that when uh, uh, the, uh, 
before the Second World War broke out, there was all sorts of pacts that were being signed between the Nazis and the others and so on. Well, it wasn't long before it was plunged into another world war. But anyway, the last days, perilous times shall come. And it talks about the state of people's attitudes. For men, verse 2, shall be lovers of their own selves. And so this is the priority of a lot of people. They're going around taking selfies all the time. And, uh, and it's, uh, look at me, aren't I wonderful? And uh, this sort of thing. And uh, Barry Cross was telling me before that uh, he, uh, he said every time he goes to look in the mirror, some old man jumps in in front of him and that's all that he sees. <laughs> yes, anyway, he did tell me that. Yes. Anyway, so, but people are lovers of their own selves and they're covetous and they're boasters and they're proud and they're blasphemer and they're disobedient to parents and they're unthankful and unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, no self-control, fierce, the despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, hind-minded and lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. And so there's two things that are highlighted here. People are in love with themselves and they're in love with pleasures more than in lovers with God. And so if we, we claim to be Christians, we should have a love for God. He loved us enough to give his son. He asked for our love in return. And so we should put him before ourselves. We should put him before our pleasures. We should put him before anyone else. It doesn't mean that you can't have a bit of pleasure and it doesn't mean that you can't, well, you should look after yourself as much as you can, uh, but uh, you, you should, of course, care for your family and so on, but God needs to come first. And for those who endeavour to put that in that right order. We, we fail all the time, of course. But <clears throat> if that's our motive, God must come first in my life. So when there is a real choice that has to be made, and there will be times when we have to make a choice, well, we will be ready to make the right one, and God will bless us and keep us safe for eternity. Okay, let's have a look in the uh, first epistle of John and chapter 2. And we read there, <clears throat> verse 15, love not the world. Now, <clears throat> this is not something that um, the, the greenies would, would get upset about because they, they love the earth. And good on them. Some people have got to have a love for the earth and try to preserve it and so on. But this is talking about the world system. It's talking about the, the behaviour of people in the right throughout the world and so we're not to love the things of this present life love not the world neither the things that are in the world if any man love the world the love of the father is not in him so we've got to make a choice here do i love god or do i love the things of this world because if we're too wrapped up in the things of this world god gets squeezed out and we can't afford to do that. And it explains why. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes 
And the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so all the things that our lower nature craves after, the things that the world plays up and, and makes it important to them, and uh, they just want to get some sort of a, a sensation out of whatever they're doing. And it comes into the people's moral behaviour. And that's where so many people go astray. They're, they're looking to find some excitement out of doing things that, that are quite immoral and disgusting in many cases. It's a lust. It's the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. That's, that's what we look at. You know, and we've got to be careful what we, we, we choose to, which channel we choose to, to be on. And uh, quite often the best channel is O for off. But, uh, uh, but you know, often we, uh, we, we, we want to watch a bit of TV and there's some things that are harmless enough. But if we're lusting after those things with our eyes and we want to look at magazines or we get on the internet, you know, people get caught out. They get on the internet and they look up disgusting things. And uh, some of them will even get into doing things that are quite illegal to be watching things that are really bad. And so that's a lust of the eyes. How on earth that people, spirit-filled people, could ever come to that? And sadly, sometimes it happens. So we, 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 we feast our eyes upon edifying things because that's what gives us joy and peace. And instead of having a guilty conscience because we've let the Lord down and our fellowship, well, we should make the right choice in the first place. And the pride of life, you know, being Mr. Important or Miss Important or whatever. You know, pride is, is not what the Lord wants us to, to follow after. It says, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And what's going to happen to the world? The world passes away, probably with one almighty bang, and it's all gone. The world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abides forever. Simple. So let's make sure that we choose to love God first and uh, the things of this world put them to one side. Let's have a look in um, Matthew chapter 10. <coughs> this, is, this is important. So let's have a look at this and uh, make sure we get the right understanding of it. Matthew chapter 10 <coughs> and we read in uh, here it is Matthew 10 is here somewhere yeah, yeah Matthew 10 and verse 34 where Jesus said think that I am come to send peace on the earth I came not to send peace but a sword for I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. still happens sometimes. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. So why did he say this? It's because Jesus came to this world that was in a mess. We're all in this mess, but we hear the gospel and we choose to opt out of the mess of this world and sometimes our relatives decide not to opt out. They want to stay where they are. And so there becomes a clash between us. We've got to be careful how we handle it. 
I mean, I was only 20 when I came to the Lord and looking back, I wasn't particularly wise the way I handled it. Um, and um, so when you tell your parents uh, that they're not saved, uh, they don't usually take that very kindly. And, um, but, you know, sometimes parents listen. If you go about it the right way, uh, as Janet did, she came home after she received the Holy Spirit, told her parents what had happened to her, and I'm sure she didn't uh, jump on the soapbox and start telling them that they were going to hell or anything like that. She just told them her experience. They came along and uh, both her parents and the two sisters came to the Lord as well. But we've, we get our priorities right and we put God first. And we're going to read here. Um, and so it says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Again, quoting Janet's family, her father said after he came to the Lord, and he was a good dad, and uh, he, he said that after he came to the Lord, he found out he had more love for his family than he had before. And I guess that because you share around, of course, we get God's love working inside of us, but the things that were important to us before that we loved to be involved in, well, they become history as far as we're concerned and so we can devote our attention to, to other things and to other people, particularly God and also those round about us. So he that loveth any of your family member more than him, we're not worthy of him. And he that taketh his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that finds his life shall lose it and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. So we all buried our old life in the waters of baptism. Most of us here have been baptised. Do we remember that we committed our life to God when we got into this tank or the sea or the tank somewhere else where we got baptised? We buried our old life. We lost our old life. But boy, what a wonderful new life that he gave to us. And so... That's because we chose to love God more than other people and other things. And uh, so uh, Jesus was asked, Matthew 22, if you want to look at that, but they, this lawyer asked Jesus, what's the great commandment? And he said, the first one is love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and mind and strength. And secondly, love your neighbour as yourself. These are the great commandments. He said, that's for everything that the Old Testament was trying to achieve. And now it is being achieved through the new covenant because Christ came, paid the price for us, and now lives within us and uh, walks the road with us to help us to do the right thing. He even said, love your enemies. And uh, we'd better read that one because that sounds a bit rough, doesn't it? Love your enemies. What next? Anyway, we read here in verse, chapter 5, verse 43, You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbour and hate thy enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, good, do good to them that ha hate you, and pray for them which despisefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and it sends rain on the just and the unjust. So follow the example of Jesus. He hung on the cross, the murderers that put him there. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus loved even the people that put him there. And that's what he wants us to do. I know it's, I shouldn't uh, get onto this, but I do silly things like that. I saw a tea, uh, a tea towel once 
and it had an uh, interesting picture on it. It had these two monks on there, and one's carrying a placard, and it says, drink is the enemy. And behind him, there was another one coming with a big red nose, and it said, love your enemy. And so, anyway, it appealed to me, but anyway, I hope that you got that. One or two did. Anyway, so, uh, yes, we'll have a look at... Um, Luke chapter 10, <coughs> Luke chapter 10, and uh, there's a great parable here that Jesus told about the Good Samaritan, <coughs> and I know I'm rushing, but I have so many things I want to tell you, but they put a time clock up there, um, <coughs> and besides that, <laughs> you all have your time clock, and there comes a time when the eyelids start to fade a bit, but... Um, <coughs> This story that Jesus told, and uh, it really had a sting in it because he said there was this man that was gone his way down the road and he got beaten up by some robbers and they left him lying there half dead by the side of the road. And along came a priest and he just left him there. And along came a Levite and he went across and had a look at him and still left him there. Now these two were typical of religious people. The priests, with all their ceremonies and so on, and there are some religions that are all ceremony, ceremony and no substance. They can dress up in all sorts of pretty clothes and so on, but uh, it, it's all wrong. And so it doesn't help anybody. It just leaves people lying by the side of the road in the state they're in. Then along came the Levite. He was the lawmaker and he probably came and read the guy of the Ten Commandments. You're probably here because you did this, broke this commandment or whatever. Didn't help him one little bit. And along came a Samaritan. Now he particularly chose a Samaritan because they were uh, sort of uh, a mixed race of people by this time. And they were despised by the Jews. And he came along and let's see what he did for him here. Verse 33. A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion on him. He showed some love towards this man that was hurt. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn to take care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said, Take care of him, and whatever you spend more, when I come again, I will repay thee. And he said... Uh, now, which of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbour unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him, then said, Jesus, go and do thou likewise. Now, in this story, the real meaning of it is Jesus is the good Samaritan, despised and rejected of men, not popular, but he is the one who shows the compassion. He's the one that really wants to help, and he's the one who has the power to help. And that's what's happened in our lives. The, we tried religion. We tried the priests with their ceremony. We tried the lawyers with the, uh, you know, that were teaching, oh, well, you'd be a good little boy or a little, good little girl and you, you're lucky you'll go to heaven or whatever. And so that's what um, we were taught. But it didn't help us. But along came Jesus and he filled us with the Holy Spirit and he set us up in an inn. This is an inn. This is, we're, we're in people. We're the in crowd here. 
And uh, so we've come into this inn where the Lord looks after us. And if we need anything else, he's coming back. But in the meantime, he'll continue to supply our need. But it's important that we stay where the Lord put us. So that's, that's showing compassion. Now, uh, let's try to uh, find... I'm not quite finished. But if we go to Proverbs and we go to chapter 4 and we want to talk here about how we can protect our heart and to make sure that we've got a good and honest heart. So we read in chapter 4 of Proverbs and verse 20, My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings, let them not depart from thine eyes, and keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. So he's saying that we should know our Bibles. It's very, very important that you get to know your Bible. And uh, a brother asking last night, uh, do we have a sort of a, a standard of how many, how much time you should spend reading your Bible, reading your Bible each day? And my thought was, well, do as much as you can. But you know, if we said, oh well, everybody's going to spend an hour every day reading their Bible, well, some would do it, and some would say, well, only an hour. I like to spend more than time than that. And others would sort of say, oh, I couldn't handle that after a hard day's work. I'm lucky if I can read much at all but then you might have to think well maybe I better read it in the morning when I first wake up other people are the other way around they don't wake up until lunchtime so whatever it is you, you read your bible get to know it's important because we're to keep it in the midst of our heart sometimes it's a good thing to get down on your knees when you're reading your bible and pray it in whatever you see there because it's got to go into our heart, not just into our brain box here, but deeper than that, right down into our heart so it becomes a part of our real feelings. And it goes on to say, keep your heart, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. And if our heart's not right, we're in trouble. But we can get it right by looking to the Lord. He will help us. In the New Testament, we'll go to Luke chapter 8, and there's a, a parable that Jesus told. Uh, Luke chapter 8, and uh, we read there of the parable of the sower and the seed. Now, most of us know the story, and he said that this farmer went out and he sowed his seed, he broadcast it out and it fell on different types of soil. Some was on the hard roadway and the birds came along and picked it up and took it away. Some fell on stony ground and that survived for a little while. It grew up quickly but as soon as the sun came out it withered away and died. Some fell among thorns and uh, they grew up and they choked it out and so it didn't get... Uh, come to fruition but some of it fell upon good ground and brought forth a lot of, uh, of, of seed it produced up to a hundredfold of, to what was a, that one grain brought forth a hundredfold more than what it had been invested there in the first place because the ground was good now um, he said that this it's like all different types of people some the, the, the word doesn't really sink in. 
and for others it just goes very shallow and as soon as a bit of trouble comes, a bit of persecution, somebody laughs at them and uh, or their friends, oh, I don't want to talk to you anymore, you're not the fun you used to be, oh well I can't lose my friends, that's really important to me and they give in to that. Others, they get choked out with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life and it doesn't come to uh, complete fulfilment. But I want to read here uh, on verse 15, but that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it. And that means that they cling to it. They protect it. That's, that's really important. I'm not going to let that word get out of my heart. And I think it was David that said in the Psalms, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And so that's what we need to do. On the good ground, you've got to have an honest and a good heart. You know, honesty is just so incredibly important. Uh, and, uh, you know, to, to be completely truthful about everything. It, honesty is definitely the best policy because, you know, uh, some people think they're clever and they can sort of come up with lies about things. And, you know... It just doesn't work. The truth will out eventually. And, um, you know, I heard it once, and it's probably happened lots of times, but I heard of a situation, it wasn't in our fellowship, but there was some fellow out in the world that was, uh, uh, he was, um, well, he was committing adultery. And his wife didn't know about it. And uh, the other lady didn't know uh, that he was married. But one day the two ladies met. And his life wasn't worth living after that. He got it from both sides. Serves him right. But he was living a lie. And uh, sometimes we are tempted to, to be untruthful in what we're doing. But if we've got an, an honest and a good heart, we'll hear the word, we'll hang on to it, and we'll bring forth lots of fruit. And that's the recipe for a long life in the Lord and to be ready for eternity. I'm going to finish in... in uh, what does that clock mean up there? Does it mean anything? Or um, Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. Okay. It says, says 38.15. The other one says 2.40. Uh, I don't know. They, they, hmm? Enjoy yourself. I was already doing that. Anyway, I promise this is the last passage. It's 1 Corinthians 13. What's, what is love? <clears throat> now, um, it tells us that you can speak with the tongues of men and of angels and if you haven't got love, you're just a great big noise, is what it really means, of a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And <clears throat> that's the way it comes across. You can talk all you like about speaking in tongues. You can tell people they're going to hell if they don't receive the Holy Spirit. And, 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 but if your life doesn't bear out as being a good Christian, they, they, it'll put them off of having anything to do with receiving the Holy Spirit. And so it's not good. It goes on to say that you could, you could prophesy, you could give away all sorts of things, you could even give your body to be burned. But if you haven't got love, you're nothing. And so it describes what it is. In verse um, 4, charity or love suffers long and is kind. 
it envies not, it, it, it doesn't vaunt itself. Now, what I've done, I've, I've taken this from the amplified version, and, uh, <coughs> and I just want to highlight what uh, thing, what love is not. It, it, it is never envious. It doesn't boil over with jealousy. It's not boastful or vainglorious. It doesn't display itself haughtily. It doesn't get on the catwalk and walk up and wobble around and sort of ain't I beautiful sort of thing. It's not conceited. It's not arrogant. It's not inflated with pride. It's not rude or unmannerly. It doesn't act unbecomingly. It does not insist on having its own rights or its own way. It is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or retful fretful or resentful, it does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness. It's not any of those things. But what it is, love endures long and is patient and kind. Love takes no account of evil done to it, pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances and it endures everything without weakening and love never fails, never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.